0: Well, today is a great day. Uh, Kaylee said a bunch of stuff I was going to say as she hosted. It's our first service back in 2024. And what I'm really excited about is even today in the service, some of those announcements, some of the things we're going to talk about today. Tell us so much about who we are as a church. And so we got to baptize this morning two of our uh, younger people here at church in, in junior high and high school. And thank you so much for your words and, and uh, this powerful demonstration. Um, and Kaylee, maybe it was a joke. I don't think you said we could have just stopped church there. We could. That's it. That's the message. The message is that that God offers us grace, forgiveness, and love, all that we need in this life, uh, and and a way to receive his uh, eternal life and all the good things he has for us. And that's our message, and it's really the only message that we have. We have a lot of splinters off of that message to talk about what that looks like and how we live it out. But that is the message. Is the message of Jesus, who has come to show us what God looks like, and if he showed up, what he would do, and how he would do it, and how he would live. And then we get to respond uh, by following him and, and choosing ways to do that in our lives. And so, what a great way to start the year by people showing us that and proclaiming it is true in their life, and then showing us through baptism. There's something else Jesus said. If you really want to find out about who you are, or even just do a little bit of a, a little bit of assessment on your heart and where your heart is, this is a great way. Maybe that's a, a wonderful thing uh, to start the year of is to say, "Hey, where is my heart? Like, what's really important to me, and how would I know?" So Jesus taught um, that where your treasure is, there also. Will your heart be? So if you want to know where your heart is, follow the money. It's a good assessment. In fact, if you just go through the last couple of months and you went through your bank account and where you put all your money, what you gave away, what you spent, what you saved, it would probably give you a pretty good indication of where your heart is, what's really, really important to you, not just what you say what's important to you, but what's really important to you because that's where you know we take our money and we, we, whether we are doing it consciously or subconsciously, we put our money on the, on the things we really value the most. So that's if you got a ton of savings, maybe it's things like security. We got to make sure there's a lot of ways. If it's spending, you can look at the things, you know, maybe it's, it's um, things that make you feel good, maybe it's things that make you look good, uh, what are your essentials, all those kinds of stuff. They're good indicators of what's important to your life. So at the end of each year here at Westside, one of the things we do is we raise uh, extra money above and beyond our uh, Christmas time before the end of the year. And this year, uh, it was just called our Christmas Fund. And um, I just want to give you a bit of an update on that. Um, There's a few projects that we felt like as a church, it would be really neat if this was really important to us, and uh, we'll kind of put it out there and see if, if people are out for it, if they want to invest in those things. And so... There are things that we really believe uh, will make a difference in the kingdom. Um, One of them was we just need to take care of this building and specifically part of our roof over the lobby that's leaking because this building is a huge tool in helping us to uh, worship and to reach people and to do all the things that we do. And then we also wanted to designate a bunch of money to uh, Westside Church in Burlington that has started. And so hi to all of you who are worshiping and meeting with us in Burlington even today. Uh, We've been so excited to work with a group of people to plant this because we believe that through that church in Burlington, and God's doing a kingdom thing, and he's going to continue to bring uh, change and transformation to people's lives. Uh, Some were already part of that community, but also for the city of Burlington, and we want to see them uh, to continue to to reach out into their their city and their neighborhood and share the love of God in very practical ways and invite people to know Jesus and uh, to get the help that he offers in in just practical ways and emotional ways and spiritual ways, and so we want to make sure that as they've done some construction in their new space and, and just continue to launch that the resource. And I think that's a huge kingdom project. I think, by the way, just to remind you, this is so important for us as Westside, for us to be in the mindset that we're not just about those of us who are already here in a room, but that we are looking for kingdom opportunities. And so for us to say we want to partner with people who are doing something in the city right next to ours. And for those of you in Burlington, hopefully to feel like we're all part of something and you're part of helping us do what we do here in Hamilton is a monumental thing in God's kingdom. I think it's so beautiful and wonderful. And then the Third project, we want to partner with some organizations and people who are are just working hard to meet practical needs of people who are experiencing homelessness or uh, almost homelessness or just having a hard time uh, with enough to to eat or paying their rent and to help uh, those people in our city. So we want to partner with HATS and Gore Park Outreach. And so we just looked at that as we were planning as a board and a staff back in the fall and praying about it and asking God to put some of those projects on our hearts and our minds. And then uh, we just asked you uh, if you would um, if you get behind that and if you would give and be generous towards it. And uh, this year, our goal was $100,000, a lot of money. Last year, we raised $60,000 and uh, we partnered with Ryan's Raise, a great foundation um, run by a couple here in our church. And uh, one of the amazing things was you guys supported that and we helped uh, them do a bigger project. And uh, Ryan's Place, a home for kids who have um, disabilities of all different kinds in Guatemala, uh, could come, a place where they could come and Get care and, and their basic needs be met and people that love them and care for them and the amazing thing was last year uh, a bunch of you us together we supported that um, and and the marches who run the foundation they uh, they they did a bunch of work uh, you know we just helped um, but within a year that place is built and we were able to tell you at the end of at uh, the end of 2023 that there's people using it there's kids who are being cared for because when you give to God's kingdom you see people's lives change it's amazing it's remarkable so then this year we came and our goal Granted, it is a little lofty, right, to go to, uh, from $60,000 to $100,000, but some things that were really on our hearts. And so um, we just want to let you know, know where we're at today um, and what you guys have brought in. And uh, we didn't raise $100,000. We raised $127,000, six hundred twenty-seven dollars <laughs> That's... Uh... Big thank you to you who gave all of you who gave, who decided to take something you could have used for yourself or something else and to invest in what we believe God is doing. And we believe that that money is going to change lives. And we had these three projects and and the ways that we wanted to support them. And what happens is when when we give more, we get to do more and we get to be part of more. And so that just means the more that we invest, the more that we give out of our generosity of what God's already given to us, the more we get to pass on and to do. And so today we're going to celebrate that. But actually next week we're going to celebrate more more. And we've got our friends from Hats coming. We've got friends from Gore Park Outreach coming. And they're going to share a little bit about uh, what they're doing. And we're going to be able to share a little bit about how we're going to invest that money and go above and beyond what we even thought we could do. Which is amazing because sometimes we talk about God will do more than we could even imagine. Well, we kind of imagined what we thought maybe on the high end we could do and God has done even more. So we're going to praise God. We thank God. I thank again all of you who gave to this project. And uh, don't Next week, because we're going to come back and say, "What are we going to do with the rest of the money, the extra money?" Well, we're going to tell you all about that and about the impact that uh, we believe God is making through the Christmas Fund and our generosity and all of that. So we thank God today, and I thank all of you who gave. Uh, What an incredible thing! So then, we're thinking even more about the kind of church we want to be. Here's where our hearts are going. Uh, We've got a little bit of evidence because this is where we're sending some of our treasure is into these projects of kingdom building and caring for people in need, and. I don't know if this happened to you over the break. We always talk about this. You go into Christmas or something like that. We all know, we talk about it all the time. We live in a pretty polarized world. We live in a a culture right now um, where we fight about everything. You go online and we fight about everything. Um, You get into groups of people, and if somebody doesn't agree with you, we have these tense moments. So I don't know if it happened to you, maybe over Christmas or the New Year, you were with family or friends. I don't know if there were times where topics came up where you thought, oh no, here we're going. Maybe you got into some disagreements, maybe you got into some fights. Maybe you just knew when you get together with certain people, there's certain things that are off limits for conversation. We don't want to go there because we're going to fight about it. Uh, We're going to get upset about it. We're going to see things differently, Uh, or maybe you're just drawn into some of those things. Know, I hear that all the time. And one of the things that I've experienced in my own life, maybe you have as someone who's a Christian, is that uh, not only do we have these polarizing uh, opposites in, in all kinds of, like I'm talking politics, talking social issues, morality issues, all kinds of things we become very opinionated, opinionated about. Um, but what I've experienced in my own life is that not only does that happen, and that, ha- like everybody in and in, in around us, deals with that kind of thing. But sometimes I have felt like my faith actually makes it more difficult to wade into those things rather than making it easier to wade into those things. Have you ever experienced that? It's like we've got these hot topic issues that for everybody can be really polarizing and hard and, you know, we we don't know what to do with them or we don't know how to work through them and we're scared that that it's going to break up relationships or we're just going to get in these horrible, terrible, painful arguments with people and then on top of it, you bring in your faith, which means there's certain things that you might even care more about or you've got super strong opinions because, you know, it's, it's informed by your faith or maybe by the Bible and instead of your faith making it easier... To wade into some of those conversations. It makes it more difficult, more challenging, maybe more threatening. Maybe you feel like there's more at stake. So today I want to talk a little bit about as we continue to think about what kind of church we are, what kind of people we are, to ask the question, what are we fighting for? There's a couple ways we could ask that question. We could say, what are we fighting for? As in, why are we fighting all the time? Why are we in a culture where it seems like there's always arguments, always disputes, always things that are tearing us apart? Or we could ask that question and say, what are we fighting for? What do we hope to get out of some of these debates, discussions, or maybe really contentious fights? What is it that we we are fighting for? What is it that we're actually moving towards? How do we do that? And I actually think this is a bit of a paradox. Jesus was a pretty polarizing figure but also dealt with polarizing issues in an extremely genius way. And I think he has, if we are going to follow through, read about the life of Jesus, ask him to speak to us, uh, some really, really great tools to help us approach things a little bit differently maybe than we have and to maybe enter into these kind of uh, discussions, dialogues, even fights in a more productive way. Ready? Okay. Okay. In the ancient world, Christianity um, was remarkable. And we read about that in history, even from a very uh, objective view. So even if you're not a Christian, you have no faith in Jesus, if you just look at, there's certain historians that have spent their entire careers asking questions like, why is it, again, even if you don't believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God or resurrected or any of the things that Christians basically believe, in history there's historical problems with how did this relatively small group of people who were following a, a leader who was crucified by the Romans, and really no serious scholars in history debate that. We all know that happened, that he was crucified. How is it that you went from that to this explosion of people, all kinds of people, huge numbers of people uh, becoming followers of Jesus and changing the landscape of history. I mean, the, the history of Christianity is definitely checkered. It's up and down. There's things that we're probably very embarrassed of. The things that Christian people done, even that we've done, that we wish weren't there, that were not perfect, were certainly not perfect, and there's really horrible atrocities that in history have been uh, done in the name of Jesus or of God and Christianity, but there's also some amazing things. I mean, you look back in the history of things like uh, healthcare and orphanages in many places being founded and started by Christians because they believed in the value of life because of their theological convictions and, and that Jesus... Uh, one of his, his core tenets was, come follow me and let's care for people in need. And uh, Christians changed the world. I mean, it's a historical fact. Again, not universally good. There's plenty of stuff that we'd be embarrassed about that, that, that we wish wasn't in the history of Christianity. And yet, there's, there's these questions in history and people who study and go, how did this happen? What were, were these people all about there was this letter, a historical document. We don't know who wrote it, but it was written to someone named Diognetus. And um, in that letter, so think about Christianity. Christianity came out of Judaism, because Jesus is a Jewish man, um, and he came up in his tradition. Uh, but also living in uh, a Roman-occupied world, so the superpower of Rome was there, and he got opposition from leadership within his own group of religious people, and he got opposition from the Romans, and he lived in this. And And then, after he was crucified, Christians believe, we believe that he was resurrected, and then all these people started following him, and then they start s- s- seeing, well, what, is, what are these Christians doing? And in this letter... To this person, we don't know who wrote it, but in this letter, one of the things that uh, the people who followed Jesus were referred to because they really stood out in so many ways was that they were called a third people. And it was like they're not really with Rome and they're not really with the Jewish people. They are. A lot of them are Jewish, but now some of them aren't Jewish, and there's some differences and similarities, and we're not really sure. They seem like they're a third people, that there's something different, and that has given way for some people even more recently to talk about the third way, Christians being a third way kind of people. Here's what some of that means. The first way, we talk about the first way. How do we live, Christian people? How do we live in the world around us? And it's different, but they lived with the same kind of polarizing ideas. They came up in one religious tradition and then now trying to live in, say, for example, their Roman culture. The first way was accommodation specifically to Rome. So Rome was a very pluralistic culture, and they had tons of gods and goddesses, and they were actually very tolerant and accepting of all kinds of religions, as long as your religious um, life worship whoever you want, as long as it lined up with Rome and as long as your ultimate allegiance was the Roman Empire. So you pick your god, pick your goddess, we'll bring them in, we'll find a place for them, you do your thing, we'll do our thing. As long as at the end of the day, Rome was about Rome. So as long as this fits under our umbrella of we worship wherever we worship, ultimately the Roman Emperor is our god, he's in charge of everything, and we're going to build up our Roman Empire. So the first way to try and deal with, well how do you deal with that if you're not a Roman person, is you just accommodate, you just go with that. You say, okay, well, I guess we're all Romans, and at the end of the day, our ultimate authority is to Rome and to the empire, and that's where we give our loyalty, right? Just go with the flow. The second way was isolation, and there are groups that just looked at that and said, well, we can't do that based on our convictions. We can't make uh, the emperor our god. We can't worship that way. And so they would go the other way into isolation, Gerald Sitzer, who's a scholar who writes a lot about the third way and just observing the history and early Christianity of this, uh, he says something like this. Uh, He said, these are people who rejected Rome and its ways. Any monotheistic group that had a God that wasn't the Roman Empire were a threat to the first way. So if you were polytheistic, that was fine because we can find a place for any God. But if you have only one God and it's not our emperor. Well, now that's a problem because it's an allegiance problem. So there were some, and this now he's talking about certain groups of Jewish people that were observed this way, because remember, again, Christianity came out of Judaism. So there were some Jewish groups that would go in this direction. They dressed differently, they ate differently, they educated differently, they didn't mix in marriage or other significant ways. They lived a life that set them apart culturally, right? So we we have no desire to fit in and really anyway. We're gonna go and look completely different as much as we can, we are gonna stand out. We can't accommodate, so we're gonna isolate. Okay, so these are kind of two differing aspects of the spectrum. We're just going to go with the flow, or we're going to kind of reject everything, and we're going to be on our own. We can't even really mix with anybody else. Uh, We don't want any part of that. It's very either-or thinking. Now, these problems, it looks different for us. We're not in the Roman Empire. Uh, Most of us probably not Jewish or have that kind of stuff. Um, But we have similar predicaments. We go into a world where sometimes we feel like maybe we don't belong, and we're asked questions to line up on one side or the other. Are you pro this and anti that? Are you for this or against this? Are you liberal, conservative, traditional, progressive? Either or, this or that, which way are you going to go? And this isn't a particularly religious predicament. This is part of the human brain. We just love to categorize things simply. Are you this or that? We wanna categorize and put people in one box or another. And if you're in my box, we probably feel pretty comfortable with each other. If you're in the other box, now we're a little polarized, now we're pushed aside. And this either-or thinking is so human, I think our brains, to a certain extent, are very wired to make that easy for us. It makes it simple, but it also makes uh, our world very polarized, very separate. Jesus was a master at dismantling either-or predicaments and entering into What I believe for many of the early Christians was a third way, a different way of approaching things. So before we get to that, here's some signs that you might be stuck in either or thinking that is actually, even you didn't know it, is actually contributing to the polarization in your life. One, you might think this, my position is more important than people. You probably don't think that, but you might act like it, that I'm right. And even from a religious person, I'm right because it's in the Bible, and I'm, I'm following the Bible. But your position becomes more important than the people around you. Being right becomes kind of the most important thing. We all think we're right. Because if you didn't think you were right, you'd change your mind. Everybody thinks they're right. Number two, I'm more judgmental than generous. So not only do I think I'm right, but I'm pretty sure you're wrong. Or someone who disagrees with me is wrong. Or even I can start to put together their position instead of being generous towards them. I'm actually pretty judgmental. Here's all the reasons I know that they're wrong and they're off base and I can't believe that they would do that. And I'm glad that we figured it out or I figured it out and we're on the right side of things and they're on the wrong side of things. Or then thirdly, you, you just it's not just that I disagree but I demonize. So now this is not just, I have a disagreement, somebody in my family, they you know, have a different political view, a different moral view, a different social view, or somebody outside of, of our family that we're just interacting with. It's not just that we have disagreements, but now I'm, I'm attaching um, what I think is, is their bad opinion to who they are, and now it's not just people I disagree with, it's those bad people. Those kind of people are bad people. Those are misguided people. Those people have it all wrong, and they are wrong, and they're Kind of on the outsides, on the outskirts. This is very either-or thinking. And sometimes in religious circles, we can believe that those are actually very good religious ways to do. Because, again, well, I'm standing on the truth of the Bible and we're right about that. And we know it because God has told us. And so we're living the right way and other people aren't. And therefore, it can actually be wrapped up in a very pious way of thinking. And yet, Jesus is a master of instead of just accepting the two binary options of either or this or that, uh, let's, let's jump on one position, and it's more important to be right than to be with people. It's more important, or we end up being more judgmental than generous, uh, or we're not just disagreeing, but we're demonizing. He would deal with all of that in the, the religious people of his own tradition, and yet he would come into a third way that didn't say, well, then we just throw it all out. Who cares? It doesn't matter what we believe. Let's just all go together. Didn't do that. But he also didn't say, well, let's run from the people we disagree with and make sure that we have no part of them because we can just do our own thing over here and make sure that we're right and they're wrong and we settle on that. That's way one and that's way two. Jesus now enters into a third way. And Jesus, by the way, they're always trying to trap Jesus. People are always trying to trap Jesus with these either or binary. Are you this or that? What do you believe about this hot topic? In his day, the issues, some of them overlap and some of them are same. But Jesus, we get into debates about The Sabbath, what you can do or not do on the Sabbath, on divorce, on whether or not you can pay taxes or should pay taxes to Caesar. And they come with them, and these are the hot topics of the day. These are the ones that people would have said it makes a difference if you're in or out based on what your position is. And instead of just going, oh, so many times lining up with one or the other, Jesus goes uh, deeper and finds a third way. Now, you might say you could look at the, if you look for that, by the way, you start reading through the Gospels, and you see Jesus do that with that, in your mind, you'll see that he does it all the time. He does it Matthew chapter 13? You ever think of, is the world getting worse and worse or better and better? Some of us are convinced the world's just getting worse and worse and worse and there's nothing we can do about it until Jesus returns and takes us to heaven. And other people, more traditional, other people, more progressive, no, we're working towards good and we're getting there step by step and we can do it. You know what Jesus says? He says, you know what? In our world, we've got wheat and we've got weeds and they're both growing up. And in the end, the angels are going to figure it all out because you're not, this is my commentary, because you're not really able to judge. And sometimes you're going to pull something up because you think you're right and you're going to pull up the wheat with the weeds. But actually both are growing. So we're getting better or worse. Line up. And Jesus goes, both of those could be true. And you got to be careful because you're not always a good judge of what's wheat and what's weeds. Oh, it's a good third way principle. Now go think about that. Do you know where Jesus uh, most notably maybe enters into the either-or thinking? A lot of times he avoids it, but not always. So if you read through this, you can say, ah, I, found a, I found an exception. Yes, you can find exceptions. You want one? Maybe the one that jumps out to me the most. Matthew 25, sheeps and the goats. At the end of things, the Son of Man, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to judge uh, how everything's doing. There's going to be people like farmers do sheeps and goats, one side or the other, very clean cut. And Do you know what it's about? What would you do when someone was hungry? Thirsty, naked, in prison, without clothes. Did you feed them? Did you give them a drink? Did you give them some clothes? Did you welcome them in? Did you go visit them in prison? If you did, you did it for me. Sheep. If you didn't, you really didn't understand me at all. Goat. You want an either or? Nor. How do you treat people who are in need? Third way. What's the third way? The third way is the way that followers of Jesus, I think, are encouraged to live and to approach things. Another quote from Sitzer, who's uh, the scholar who studies this. He says uh, about Christians, "...they live in their own countries, but only as aliens. They have a share in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners." Every foreign land is their fatherland, and yet, for them, every fatherland is a foreign land. Christians believed in the reality of another and greater kingdom over which God ruled. It was a spiritual kingdom, not of this world, but certainly over this world as a superior and supreme for this world's redemption, and in this world is a force for ultimate and eternal good. It is a kingdom that doesn't line up with your your political party or your ideology. You can't find it anywhere else. It's a different kingdom, but it's not one that doesn't enter into this world. It's one that is intricately involved in this world, but it's another way of doing things entirely. So the Christian people felt like, in one sense, we're completely alien, and yet we've made this our home. We're investing in it. We're investing in God's goodness to change it. Here's just some quick applications, and we're going to build off of this each week over the next few weeks. So please come back, continue, and we'll continue to talk about this. If you feel like there's so much more to talk about, please come back next week or listen online if you can't make it. The third way, just as a reminder, it is not accommodation. It doesn't mean we just do whatever. It is not isolation. It doesn't mean we just completely leave our culture and try and be on our own and don't interact with anybody. It is not a middle or moderate position. So it's not just, oh, somebody thinks this on a far end of the spectrum. Somebody thinks this. Why don't we just compromise in the middle? It's none of those things. Here's how Jesus enters into it. When Jesus asked to weigh in on a polarizing topic, he, number one, refuses to simply choose one of the options So this is a great strategy. I'm not just going to pick one. Just because you've only given me two options doesn't mean there's only two. Number two, he reframes the issue, pointing out problems with the binary options. So let's think about this in a different way. Number three, he then reveals an appropriate kingdom response. So you've given me two options. I'm actually going to find another one that matches with the kingdom of God, as a follower of Jesus, and then find an appropriate response that might not be either option that I was given. The third way, then, is a stance that rejects the either-or political or cultural alternatives offered in our society and seeks a different approach, one where our number one loyalty is the kingdom of God is following Jesus. Amazing, right? Okay, how do we do this? Really quickly, number one. Three ways to live out the third way. Number one is humility. Um, To be able to say, I could be wrong. If all we do as religious people is just say, well, we're right because we have the Bible and because God told us, that's not gonna be helpful. And in fact, even though we have the Bible, you, you might've noticed this, even with the people sitting all around you, we disagree on all kinds of stuff. We interpret it differently. And so we have to have a little bit of humility. Jesus put it this way, and he enters into the idea that listen, when we think it's all about I'm right and everybody else is wrong, that if people disagree with me, that's very judgmental. So he said in Matthew seven, and why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? Why go to the whole world and say, ah, you guys all have it wrong and ignore the fact that you could be wrong? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see the pass, the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get, the, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. You need some humility to know I could be wrong. We could be wrong. And you say, does that mean we're giving up our Christian convictions and we're questioning the Bible? No, no, no. Humility. I could be wrong. Maybe I read that wrong. Maybe I've interpreted that wrong. Maybe I'm living that out wrong. Maybe I'm not seeing that clearly because all I'm doing is looking at everybody else and how they're wrong instead of changing my own perspective. Humility is going to go a long way. That doesn't mean you become wishy-washy in what you believe. It just means you search for a more humble position. Number two, we will need grace to collapse the categories. So this either-or polarized thinking creates categories. We like the categories because they make things simple. You're in, you're out, you're right, you're wrong. Um, These are the people that get it. These are the people that don't. That's wonderful. Over and over and over and over, Jesus tells stories that collapse the categories, that puts people on even ground. Actually, the people who always thought that they were in were the people who had the hardest time with Jesus, and the people who were convinced that they were on the outside were the people that loved Jesus most because he showed them grace. You know Another example. The parable of the prodigal son. Why do we call it that? There's two sons. Here's how most of us. Remember the story. The prodigal son, he's kind of the the bad kid. He takes his father's inheritance, insults his father. He goes to a far land. He squanders it. uh, Wild living, party lifestyle, loses everything. Comes back to the father with his tail between his legs and says, You know, he's ready to have this speech. I'll work for you. I'll I'll be your your servant. Just accept me back. I need something to eat. And the father greets him and wraps him up with a hug and throws him a party, gets a fattened calf, and they have the whole thing. Wonderful. And we kind of go, Oh, that's a cool thing. So if you've done wrong, you can come back and God will forgive you. True. Prodigal son. Younger son. But the older son is the one we often forget. Says now his older son was in the field. This is after they are throwing a party at this moment for the wayward son. The older son was in the field and he came to draw near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Such grace. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out And entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. You've never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, the father said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and found. And the parable ends with the father saying, Come into the party. You're my son. He's my son. You're both my sons because you're my sons. Not because you worked so hard. Not because he messed up, but because I graciously love you both. You're both on equal footing. Come into the party, and the parable ends, and we don't know if the older brother goes into the party. We don't know if the older brother can stomach the fact that he's part of the family because he's a son, not because he's worked for it. Grace collapses the categories. You say, you've got the young son, he's the bad boy, goes and does his thing. You've got the old son, older son, he's the good guy, he's followed all the rules. That's how things should play out, but they don't. Grace kills the category. says, you are my children, both of you, because I love you, because it's grace you get to be part. Come to the party. Man, we love to just categorize older son, younger son. Jesus goes, it's not how I see things. It's not how God sees things. we got to crush the categories, realize we're all in this together. You know, my kids, uh, when we watch a movie, one of the first questions they always have, you get 20 minutes in and they go, is that the bad guy? Is that the bad guy? Sometimes like, yeah, it's the bad guy. Sometimes you go, oh, it's kind of complicated. Life is a little more complicated than that, isn't it? Who are the bad guys? Am I the bad guy? Are we all kind of the bad guy? Sometimes. Are we all kind of the good guy? Sometimes. Do we need a third category rather than just good guys and bad guys? Grace says yes. We all come together under grace. Okay, number three. Big surprise love. For Jesus, uh, and part of backing up to those categories is everyone is created in the image of God. This is the doctrine of the imago Die, the image of God. That everyone ultimately is created in the image of God, which means the way we treat people is this person, even if, it doesn't mean they're always doing something right or good. Sometimes they could be doing something that's very painful or harsh, but I need to remember that under all of that, everyone's created in the image of God. Me, you. People that disagree with me and you, people who act differently, people who do good things and bad things, all created in the image of God. Jesus is clear about this when he talks about nonviolence. You know why for Jesus, he says, hey, we can't be violent people. We We can't be killing people. We can't be hurting people. And you'd say, why? Like justice. And if somebody does something wrong, they need to be punished. And if they do this to you, you got to do that back to them so that they know that they can't do that. And that's how the world works so much, retaliation. And Jesus goes the other way. And so if we're going to break down the polarization, we might start with humility and then break the categories of grace and then say, here's where we need to be creative. Even in contentious situations, even where somebody is doing something wrong and hurtful and painful, how do we respond rather than in retaliation in love? And this is where instead of, oh, do I just let them do whatever they want to do? Or do I treat them the way that they're treating me if they're treating badly? We need to say, those are two categories that maybe we need to say, is there a third better option? And love is a better way. A way that doesn't just say, oh, injustice can continue to go on and we just do nothing about it. But also a way that says, but it doesn't mean I enter into that injustice and do to you what you do to me. Here's what Jesus says. You have heard the law. By the way, this is in the Bible. So a good predictor, you can use the Bible... In really terrible ways. You've heard, you've heard it said in the Bible, punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. So somebody injures you, you injure them back. The biblical reason in the Old Testament for that is that you don't go beyond that. So you can't hurt somebody even more than they hurt you. But Jesus goes the other way. But I say, don't resist an evil person. Someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Now what does this mean? Um, somebody hits you on the right cheek, Uh, means that they've backhanded slapped you with the right hand. That's how this would have looked in this culture. He says, offer the other cheek, which is not saying you can just hit me. It's saying if you're going to hit me, hit me as an equal. It's showing the injustice and standing up to it. Then he says, if you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. Okay, the Jewish people, Jewish man would have two garments. Your shirt and your coat. So if somebody takes one from you in court is suing you, I, you know, they're against you, right? Well, give them the other one. Well, what does that end up in? Now you're naked in court. It's supposed to be funny. Jesus is being funny. He's going, show them the injustice. Don't just give up into it. But don't, you don't have to sue them back. You don't have to fight them. Just go, okay, well, then take everything from me. Make it look ridiculous. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, go two miles. Soldiers were only allowed to make you, they could make you take their gear for them but only one mile. And they would actually get in big trouble if they went further than that from their higher-ups. And so if you said, oh, this is injustice, but instead of fighting against you as a soldier, which isn't going to work out good, I'm going to show the injustice, but I'm going I'm to serve you. I'm going to go another mile. And they would probably stop you and say, no, no, we can't do this. If, if, my, if the people I report to see this, I'd be in big trouble. These are creative ways to say, I'm not going to do to you what you did to me, but I'm going to find a way to expose injustice, but to show love rather than, um, rather than retaliation. Give to those who ask to turn away from those who want to borrow. And then he says, you've heard what the law says. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Something we all believe. Love the people that are like you and forget the rest of them. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Why do we do it this way? Because this is what God is like. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Why would you enter into a loving response rather than a retaliatory response? Why be creative and come up with a third way Because that's what God does. He's gracious and loving to good people and to bad people because he crushes the categories and he offers that to those people and lets them choose to receive it or not to receive it. It's beautiful, it's challenging. It is a third way. So simple question, very profound question though. What or who do you need to see differently in light of God's kingdom? Where do you need to look for a creative third way instead of just uh, accepting the two options that perhaps you've been given. What kind of church do we want to be? And I've said it before, believe it with all my heart, is not that we want to be more conservative or liberal, not more traditional or progressive, not more this or not more that, but to be more like Jesus. And so Heavenly Father, we thank you for showing us what you're like in Jesus. Um, These are really difficult things for us to learn, and so we pray that you'd help us to take uh, what you've told us and. to turn it over in our minds and our hearts and to make it part of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.